the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 970 presents Eye on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information. From the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest in real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all of your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. Call now, 866-970-9622. 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elliman's CEO, Dottie Herman. Listening to Ion Real Estate, I'm Dottie Herman, and as I promised, we are so lucky to be joined by Ada Hashlasher, who is a mediator for conflict resolution, divorce, and family mediation. Uh, she is an accredited member of the New York State Council on Divorce, and um, after a successful commercial real estate career, Ada turned her extensive negotiating skills to conflict resolution divorce, and family mediation. Known among family, friends, and colleagues as a natural bridge builder. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Dottie. Nice to be here. Thank you. Oh, so happy to have you. As I was telling our listeners, obviously, I've been in the business a long time, and some of the most difficult, it's stressful to be selling real estate or buying real estate to begin with. And when you're in the middle of a divorce or something of that nature, it gets sometimes crazy. And uh, yep. people become spiteful and hurtful, and they really hurt each other. So give us, give us first of all, you started in commercial real estate. Tell us all about how you ended up doing this. And I'd love, I'd love everyone to hear because so many of our listeners are going through this as we speak when they're selling. And if there's anyone that can help you with this, it's Ada. So tell us a little bit how you got started and some of the most common things that you find occur when people are selling real estate in the middle of a divorce. Okay. Um, the story of how I got here, I could take up an hour telling that story, but suffice it to say um, that I just reached a point where I was ready for a new game. And um, I was ready to move on from real estate, and I wanted to use my negotiating skills um, and apply it in an arena where it would really make a difference in people's lives. And I heard about mediation. Back, I heard about it back in the early 2000s, right. and I found out about a training, and I took the training, and I never looked back. I stepped into the world of divorce and family mediation. And so for your listeners who don't know what we do in divorce and family mediation, we basically do everything that the attorneys do when couples are ready to separate and divorce, but we do things a lot less contentiously. We do things a lot less expensively. And it's a more streamlined approach. And that is because I sit with the couple and we discuss and work out 
all of the things that they have to work out in their ultimate agreement that they will be signing, but more importantly, it's really their contract with each other about how they're going to split their households, continue to co-parent their children, and what is going to happen with what New York State calls equitable distribution of their assets and their debts. So the assets are things like bank accounts and investments and retirement accounts, and debts are things like credit card debt and car loans and things like that. But the biggest issue for most of my couples is the marital home because, as you know, Dottie, it's both an asset and a debt. It's a debt if they still owe a mortgage, which most people do, and hopefully it's an asset because the value of the marital home is worth more than what the mortgage, the current mortgage is. So one of the things that we have to talk about is what is going to happen with the marital home. And that is a big topic that we discuss in a mediated setting. So Ada, can you go back now when you, because I, uh, and again, I so believe in mediation. I watch people throw thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and they're just, and I'm not nothing against attorneys, but they're mm-hmm. making the attorneys rich. And sometimes when you're going through an emotional time, uh, you don't see light. But if you step back and say at the end of the day, rather us save us money, which helps both parties, Mm -hmm. then give it away. So what's the difference, would you tell me, for somebody who's going through a mediation opposed to going to two attorneys and going through a divorce that's not through mediation? Okay, so the three main... Oh, they're tremendously different. So I touched on it before. It's a lot less contentious. It's a lot less expensive, and it's quicker. So let me drill down on each one of those things briefly. First of all, it's a voluntary process. Couples have to agree to come to sit down at the table and be willing to talk this out and work it out. And even though I've had reluctant people sometimes come, And when I say reluctant, you know, they really would like to litigate it, but they just don't have the money for the attorneys because they both have to hire lawyers. There's a tremendous retainer fee that they plunk down to get started. And I always tell my clients, by the time you get rung through the court system, think about putting a zero at the end of that retainer check that you wrote for your lawyer. And the question I always ask my couples is this. Whose kids do you want to put through college? Yours or the lawyer? Because that's a good it question. Would be a thousand... hmm? That's a great question. I mean, that's really putting it, that's really giving it straight. Whose kids yeah. do you want to put through college? That's great. Yep, yep. And then the other thing is that it takes a long time to wangle yourself through the court system. In a mediation, you know, we're, we're um, not that we're running any races here, but we're moving through things a little bit more quickly. We're setting the schedule for the next meeting, what the topic will be. I give my clients homework to do so that they're prepared to have the conversation for each session. In a litigated setting, you're at the mercy of the court, and if one side is ready the day that you show up in court and the other one isn't, there's a postponement, and so delay, delay, delay. And this is another reason that the fees get racked up for you when you're litigating. When you show up in court, 
with your attorney, you are paying for their time. And if the other side doesn't show up or they need a postponement, you have to pay your attorney for work that they were incapable of doing that day just by dint of the fact that there was a postponement and the other side didn't show up. So, you know, the litigated system, it's an adversarial system, no matter how you turn it and is. twist it and flip and flop it. Yep. You know, I watched my daughter go through it, and I begged them to do a mediation because we weren't even talking about a lot of money. It was nothing. And truthfully, and I swear to you, two years, I don't want to tell you how much money that I spent. Mm -hmm. The attorney actually called me because it was a childhood sweetheart of my daughter's, so I knew him very well. Not only as a mother-in-law, I knew him before they got married when they were kids. And uh, he said, please, I think you're the only one that could end up putting, getting them to have to, to con- mm-hmm. cause it was just, and truthfully, I really did. And uh, we, and it was, I kept on saying to my daughter, it's such a waste, but she was so angry at the time. So to me, it is such a smart thing to do. Now, let me ask you something. What happens if let's say one party wants to go through a mediation and the other one doesn't. So, so let's just say that they, you can finally get them to agree to at least go. What if they change, can they change their mind or at least come to you, see what the process is about and then make a decision? Right. Like so if- I start with a, that. I start with a consultation where I meet the couple together, and I right. call that consultation an information gathering session for my potential clients. I explain the mediation process. I distinguish it against the litigated process because even though I know that they sort of know, I want to make sure that they really know what they would be in for if they went that route. I also want to give them an idea of what my philosophy and my approaches and how I conduct my mediations. I've been doing this coming on 17 years now. I train mediators how to do divorce and family mediation work. Uh, I co-train with two of my mentors, actually, who trained me back in 2003. And for 11 years now, I've been co-training with them. And you'd be surprised the type of people who come in for the mediation training. We've trained judges uh, really? attorneys, therapists, and social workers who want to get into the mediation work. So, um, And I run a, a peer group on Long Island for uh, my fellow colleagues where we provide resources and help and information for each other. So I want the clients to know who is sitting in the room with them and the ways that I'll be able to help them. I also want to give them an idea about how long it should take and approximately what all the fees will be, because I don't like surprises and I don't want them to have a surprise about it as well. And I want to make sure that I answer all of their questions so that as a result of the consultation, they will be able to make two important decisions. One, if they feel that mediation could be an appropriate process for them, and very often they do believe that that is the case. Um, and two, if they feel comfortable with me being their guide and mediator through that process. So the consultation, I, I always say the consultation is like chicken soup. It can't hurt. Just come. Uh, so in other words, it's, it's like I right say, here. find out yep. the information and then right. you know, make a decision. So now because, let's assume, how do they find you, first of all? Like, I mean, in other words, are you, do, do you practice in all of New York State? And how, how does someone find, I mean, a lot of people don't even know where to look or, or the first thing they think is attorneys because, you know, when you think of a, a divorce, the first thing is I'm getting my attorney. 
And you really don't have to do that. As Ada said, you can just, where do they look or how do they find you? Well, many of my clients come from, uh, you know, clients who I have who refer friends and colleagues and family members to me. So those referrals are extremely precious to me. Sure. Um, I also know a lot of therapists and social workers, and believe it or not, attorneys will refer uh, when they feel that mediation really could be better for the for their potential client, and they recommend that they do go to a mediation. I mean, you would be surprised how many referrals I get in that arena. And then a lot of people, you know, Dottie, everybody's online these days. You know. Google. So um, they find me online. I mean, uh, if, if I can put, put in a plug, I'll give you my, uh, you know, my, my email address. Uh, yes, give us your email. Our listeners will want to know. What, what is your email? Okay. Just give us your so my email Absolutely. address is, well, the name of my company is the Divorce and Family Mediation Center. And, um, and my email address is ADA, A-D-A, at DFMC, and that stands for Divorce and Family Mediation Center, DFMCLI.com. And my phone number is 631-585-5210. And I'll post that also in case anybody didn't get that. We'll say it again. But let me ask you now something. So that's Ada at DFMC. Long Island, L-I? L-I.com. L-I.com. And it's 631-585-5210. Now, so what is the most your, well, common before we real get estate? To that, so to answer your question that you asked me about, I, so I, I mainly, my office is in Melville. I mediate on Long Island. Um, it, because people come to my office, as somebody who's in Manhattan, unless they live on Long Island, they're not going to schlep all the way to Long Island right. to my office. So it's really regional. P- most mediators, you know, work kind of in like a 20, 30, 40 mile, uh, you know, people come from that kind of radius to their office. But I will tell you, I've had clients come to me from Brooklyn and, um, and, and, and Manhattan. Um, and I've had I had a few clients who were in Montauk who came and mediated with me because the referral right. came and they wanted to mediate with me. So right, um, but I'm sure know, I'm, I'm sure if it was somebody that really lived far away, you could probably give them somebody who was you know. Oh, absolutely, like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Some of our audience is Connecticut; it's all over. So I'm sure yep. you could refer them if it wasn't something near enough for them. But my Correct. question is because this is what I I've I see like. You know, I've been doing this my whole life, and this is usually a big problem. One person doesn't want to move. Like, in other words, that's the attorneys will say, they, well, they have to sell the house, and one person wants to stay, what, mm-hmm. well, and one person wants to move. Now, is that the most common real estate problem you find, or is there a, a bigger one than that? You know, interestingly, it, it, it doesn't really come down to that for the most part when people okay. come to mediation. Um, there are several ways that they go with the marital home, and that is either they've already decided that neither one of them can afford to stay in the house, even with support being paid, whether it's child support or spousal support, and they both agree that they're going to have to put the house up for sale immediately. So that's behind door number one. Right. Behind door number two, especially if they have children, usually what will happen is they will agree that whichever parent is going to be what we call the residential custodial parent, right? they may want that parent to stay in the marital home with the children 
for some period of time, Dottie. It's not going to be forever. And usually that right. period of time is going to be tied to either when the kids are going to start, you know, if they're in elementary, they're going to start middle school or middle school starting high school or high school starting college. They really want to take a look at what's going on with the children in terms of uh, their school, their friends, the community, and things like that. So let's just say that the mother is a residential custodial parent, and I want to say that's not always the case, and I do see very often more and more shared custody where they have equal time with the children. Um, But if they still want the kids to stay in the home, they will discuss with each other at my table how long that the, the, the parent who's staying in the home will continue to stay there before either she buys out the husband's share of the equity in the marital home, so we have to put some trigger dates in the agreement, um, or they're going to put the house up for sale. And sometimes the spouse who moved out of the house, and let's say in this case it was the husband, he may be the one who wants to move back into the house when that trigger date occurs. So we really have to talk about, I don't leave anything open-ended with my couples. I say to them, you really need to think about this, and we have to put some information and really specific trigger dates in the agreement so you both know that on, on or around this date, this is going to happen with the marital home, either a buyout or a sale. Right. Well, and, and this way you go through it once and you don't have it all hanging out there. Because uh, I, But I, I see that, and, I, and I, I usually see that usually the when there's children involved, if they can afford to, they will let one of them, the one who's going to have them most of the time during the school days, uh, stay in the house, and then you can either sell it or not sell it, or you, that's something that they would work out with you. But let Correct. me ask you, okay? Now, what if, uh, what if? So, I mean, what are some of the problems? I mean, I what if one doesn't? Because I know selling properties, we've had situations where one of them didn't want they had that they had to sell it for whatever mm-hmm. reason they couldn't afford it, and so one of the spouses was making it really difficult. We could never get in to show it. They were never home. I mean, what happens if one person wants to move and one doesn't? I mean, what do you try to work through that? Well, interestingly, you know, what? this is what we say about couples who come to mediation. They self-select the process. So they, you know, people, listen, Dottie, we live, you know, we have to be realistic. And very often what makes things real for people is their financial situation. Because here's the deal. So with my, with my scenario before, the wife is staying in the house with the children, and they both agree that it's, for three years she's going to continue to stay in the house. And, if, right. and when, the three years is up, when the three years are up, then at that point either she buys him out or she puts the house up for sale or he, or he buys it out from her. The problem is potentially for the husband is that he is still tied to the mortgage on that home. And the likelihood of him being able to purchase a co-op, a condo, or a home for himself when he's already on that mortgage is slim to none, as you know. Yes. So the timing is probably going to be the biggest issue that we discuss there because he's sitting there waiting for that date so that he can get freed up from that obligation on the mortgage in order to be able to purchase something. And, you know, on Long Island, the rentals out here, 
<clears throat> some of the rental numbers are as high as what a mortgage yeah. payment could be. I know. Ada, so, can you? We're, we're in the middle of going to have us take a break. If you'd hold on the line, we'll finish up. And if you have any questions uh, for Ada, by all means, call 866-970-9622. We'll be right back. We're talking about what do you do when you're getting divorced? You go to a mediation, and how do you split the real estate? We'll be right back after a break. This is Greg Floyd, president of Teamsters Local 237. Join me for Reaching Out. We'll talk about the issues that matter the most to working families, union members, and everyone who cares about the future. On the next Reaching Out, Greg speaks with John W. Rogers, Jr., founder, chairman, and co-CEO of Ariel Capital Management, the largest minority-run mutual fund firm in the United States. It's Reaching Out with Gregory Floyd, Saturday night at 7 on AM 970, The Answer. Joe Piscopo. It's time to say happy 20th birthday to Trinitas Regional Medical Center. It's been 20 years since Elizabeth General Medical Center and St. Elizabeth Hospital got together and formed Trinitas. And since then, Trinitas has established 12 centers of excellence, including the Comprehensive Cancer Center, the Wound Healing and Hyperbaric Center, the Connie Dwyer Breast Center, Cardiology, Renal, Maternity, Behavioral Health, and more. In fact, Trinitas has also grown to offer care in every County in New Jersey. Trinitas Palliative Care Program received advanced certification from the Joint Commission and their stroke and joint replacement programs received gold level certification. You've heard me talk about Trinitas Center for Wound Healing and Hyperbaric Medicine. Well, they're now at an amazing 95% heal rate for problem wounds. This amazing medical center just gets better and better. To find out more, visit TrinitasRMC.org. That's TrinitasRMC.org. 2020 is the year your business is going to thrive. Or will it? Resolve to use digital marketing to your advantage with the help from the pros at Salem Surround. Whether you're just testing the waters of digital marketing or already have a plan in place that's not getting results, we give you all the right tools to surround your target audience and turn website visitors into website leads. Salem Surround provides your business with all your marketing needs under one roof. Face it, if you're not effectively using digital media, you're behind the competition and losing sales. Salem Surround will help identify any weak points in your marketing strategy and consult with you to bring solutions that will meet your needs and exceed your expectations. Total market penetration for increased return on investment. Contact Salem Surround for a free evaluation of your digital presence and learn how to get your advertising message in front of today's consumers. Learn more at surroundnewyork.com. Surroundnewyork.com. Connecting you with new customers. When you think of outstanding Italian restaurants, the only name that should come to mind is Michael's of Brooklyn. Family owned and operated by Fred and his brother John, they've been a Brooklyn institution since 1964, serving incredible Italian dishes for three generations. Listen every Wednesday to the Joe Piscopo Morning Show on AM 970 The Answer during Italian Trivia for your chance to win a case of their delicious sauce or enter to win at am970theanswer.com. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. We're, we're back. You're listening to I on Real Estate, and I'm here. Um, we're going to 
and I'll give you all the information uh, with Ada Hashlasher, who is a mediator, um, I guess, for divorce, a divorce for divorce mediation. And uh, she really helps people to spend a lot less money and work out the differences that they have. And we were talking about, to quickly finish up, we were talking about what is the biggest, uh, what is, what would you say in doing this is the costliest mistake people make when they're getting divorced? Litigating it. it that is a costly mistake. You know, there are some really high conflict couples who just cannot work things out together. And in those cases, litigation really is the only option for them. But you would be surprised how many high net worth, high conflict couples I have seen and have mediated their separation and divorce. Because you know what, Dottie? This is what I tell my couples. At the end of the day, you're going to come to some kind of settlement with each other. Nobody gets everything that they want. That's not the real world. We're all grown-ups in the room. Compromises right. are going to have to be made, and it's not a dirty word. It's okay. And sometimes you got to give a little bit on this thing in order to get a little bit more on the other. And it's only in sitting down in a relaxed setting and thinking things through and talking things out that you can really get to the core of what's really important to people, what what their values are, and what they really need. Um, And that's what we work on in in mediation. You know, sometimes people will be telling a story about something, and in, in that story you really understand what the requirement and the need is and what's important to them. And the only way you're going to find that out is in a conversation. And sometimes, and this has been a fascinating aspect of mediation, um, sometimes one one party, the wife, for example, will be saying something to the husband, and he'll say to her, I, I didn't know that. You never told me that. I never heard that before. Now, maybe he just didn't listen or she didn't listen, but all of a sudden there's a, an, a, that enlightened moment where they get it. And in that getting it moment, they really can make progress in well, the mediation. For whatever it's worth to our listeners, I absolutely think the first thing anybody should do is to go to someone like Ada, a mediation person, and sit down, find the lay of the land. Because wh- whether you have a lot of money, first of all, the money that you spend with attorneys is ridiculous, plus the years that it could take. And uh, also, that's usually a horrible time for people because they're at odds. The way the whole system works, you're at odds. And besides, you save a lot of money. And at the end of the day, especially if there's children involved, Mm -hmm. you want to keep somewhat of a relationship as best you can because that's probably, in most cases, what's best for the kids. And usually after people are divorced, after they actually get divorced, they'll be okay. It's just going through it. So if you can go through a mediation, save a lot of money, and also have some understanding and some kind of relationship with your ex. Right. Because, you know, this is what, this, this is the fact, this is the truth of the matter. They're always, if they have children together, 
they are always going to be involved with each other exactly. in one way or another. They don't have the luxury of walking away never to see each other again. Exactly. They're going to be at graduations. They're going to be at weddings. They're going to be grandparents together. And so I always ask them, what do you want that future to look like? You know, what do they say about, you know, being angry at somebody? It's like, you know, drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. To yes. live with that kind of anger and angst and upset. And by the way, Dottie, you know, you said this before, and I, I want to really, I can't emphasize this enough. It's not just the financial cost when you go through a litigated uh, process, but also an emotional cost because of the time that it takes to get yourself dragged through the system, the court system. You're living in like a, a, a limbo. Oh. Your life is on hold and you're upset. By the time you get to the other side of it, you could barely look at the other person. Forget about co-parenting with them. And that is a terrible thing for your children. And I don't, people, I don't think people, that hopefully you'll never have to go through it, but if you go through it, I don't think people realize with the court systems, there's a postponement, the judge quits, he's a, or the judge, they put a different judge. It goes on and on and on. And all I can say for everybody that's listening is, in anything in life, I mean, at least this is just my opinion, and if I were doing a lifestyle show, I would certainly talk about this a lot. I just find that you get hurt, you get angry, but if you keep that in your soul and you don't ever let go of that anger, it makes you mm -hmm. an angry person. Yep. And at least, you know, you might not love the person, you might not love what they did or how it worked out. But I always say, you know, your life is a, a novel. And so somebody who was married to you is, is part of those chapters. And if mm -hmm. you can move on, Mm -hmm. If you could move on less expensively without spending the money, have some kind of, you know, maybe not love relationship, but some kind of relationship with someone. And really, many times it's someone like Ada that doesn't try to put people on one side or the other, which is what the legal system does. This is one side and you're the other side. Right. You try to, have, legal, right, you, you try to mutually... Yeah, the legal system is a zero-sum game. I get everything, you get nothing. And in a family, what, how I look at what's going on in my office when I'm working with my couples is I'm really working with the family. I tell them that the children are the unwitting participants in this room. And what I am up to with them, I tell them this is a family in transition, going from one family structure to another. It's not, nothing's over here, all right? right? The relationship Ada, will continue. Let me put it this way to you. I am such a believer in this, and I am from Long Island, so I have a lot of friends there still. So I will personally refer them <laughs> to you uh, because I think thank that's you. the way to go. And I just want to give all our listeners, and I want to thank you so much. What you do, I think, is so beneficial. But uh, you can get a hold of Ada at Ada at dfmcli.com or 631-585-5210. And if you're streaming the show, uh, you'll get it there. And if you, or just send me an email or Dottie Herman at uh, element.com and we'll get you all the information. Ada, thank you so much. I, I think what you do really is of such great value to people that they should do it very much more often. Thank you, Thank Dottie. You, really appreciated the time today. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Thank and you. And you too. And, and bye I bye. really do. Thanks. Yeah. So I, I just think that's the way to go. And believe me, in our business, I see it all the time. And 
hey, listen, you know, it's a period when people do get angry, but the court system tends to like one your sides, one wins and one loses. And hopefully, especially if you have children, you kind of want it to work out so that there's some relationship left. And usually the real estate is the biggest problem because that's usually one of the biggest assets and also who's going to live in it. You know, sometimes both people want to live in it. So uh, it's a good thing. And if you have any questions, let me know. I um, told you, and then I'm going to give you a little tip. So we were talking about fixing your home and I have someone who just happens to have been in the studio with me and you have an investment house. So I'm going to give you my speakers. And he was telling me that he had an investment house uh, last night. He said, I have an investment house in Miami and it was kind of vacant and we put it on the sale and he did a few tips. I'm going to give you a few tips that he did and uh, hopefully he'll share with you. And then the next day started having sellers. Here's Kyle Lee. I'm going to put him on for a moment here. It was interesting. I have a, a rental property in Miami and it was on the market off and on for, you know, quite some time and, uh, you know, a decent amount of space. And we had, you know, no offers, no, we listed it for sale, listed it for rent. And then finally I said, you know, let's try to make it more um, having a real estate background where people can come in and see who could live there. Like they can imagine ourselves with children or, you know, as like a first time. So I kind of geared it towards as if a person was living there with a child. Um, so I went to like my, I went to Target, I went to Marshalls, I went to Home Goods, and I just literally bought, you know, cheap furniture and I put it, you know, around. I made one room look like a playroom. I made one room look like a, ch you know, a little girl's room. One room looked like a little boy's room. And one room looked like a nanny's room. And I just really, spruced it up for under $1,200. And within three days, I got an offer for rent and for purchase. So it was great. It kind of really changed it around. And like I said, when you have real estate, I think sometimes people don't, they come into a blank space. And for some people, it's like a canvas where they can go in and they can create a masterpiece. And then some people need a little bit of handholding to say, well, where would I put this? Or where would I put that? So for me, I believe in always staging a property, um, whether it be my own or whether it be a listing that I have, because I think that you really show people the potential that the property has. And what do you think, Dottie? Would you agree? Uh, absolutely. I, I certainly agree with that. And I think that before, it's kind of like you go for a job interview. I mean, obviously, you want to put your best foot forward. So I think you have a broker come in and you have them tell you what to do and you just get that house in the best shape and and you want it to look live like lived in a little bit and uh staging a house can make the difference of thousands and thousands of dollars we'll be right back i i think i promise you i'd give you some of the areas that are good to invest in in the city and elsewhere i'm going to do that right after the show uh, i'm going to tell you some of the best neighborhoods to invest in uh, going forward and they're all around here I mean, Nashville, that's, that's, that's out of state. We'll be right back right after this break. Home, 
If your family depends on your income and something happened to you, what would happen to them? You need life insurance, and SelectQuote can help you get it at a price you can afford. SelectQuote found Jacob, 40, who's in excellent health, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for only $19 a month. Not in perfect health? Don't worry. SelectQuote found Tanya, 40, who has type 2 diabetes, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for only $32 a month. We shop companies like Protective, Prudential, American General, and others to find you the company with the best rates. Give your family the security they need at a price you can afford. For your free quote, call 1-800-880-7474. That's 1-800-880-7474. Or go to selectquote.com. That's 1-800-880-7474. SelectQuote. We shop, you save. Get full details on the example policies at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your premium could vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500 or visit their website connorsandsullivan.com. If you're worried about your cholesterol, hear how others are taking charge with garlic. My doctor said my cholesterol was borderline, but I've been taking garlic, and it works. I've been taking garlic for years. My pharmacist recommended garlic. He said there's an ingredient in garlic that helps maintain healthy cholesterol. I take garlic every day. No garlic breath. Lots of people like you are choosing garlic to help maintain a healthy cholesterol. Garlic, it's cholesterol's natural enemy. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Use as directed. Cancer treatment with possibly a second chance for you even if chemo, radiation, or surgery didn't work? Meet New York's only Harvard-trained, triple-board-certified radiation oncologist. It's the Radio Surgery Show with Dr. Gil Lederman. Sunday nights from 7 to 9 on AM 970, The Answer. AM 970, The Answer. Doesn't have to stop when you turn off your radio. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Download the app. Just search AM 970, The Answer. Take us with you wherever you go. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. Okay, so I want to give you a few areas uh, that I think uh, are, are pretty good investments. And again, there's no guarantees. I mean, first of all, I think that anything that you buy at the right price is a good investment if you're going to hold it. And if you look at real estate over the years, uh, over the years, primarily in most places, if you hold real estate, you will make money on it. I will probably next week bring you in an article that I read. And if you're on LinkedIn, you can read it. It's this, the death of real estate or that this whole horrible, real estate's over, is a real estate a dinosaur? 
Well, let me say this much. The American dream is still alive and well. Millennials want to buy. I don't know many that just, you know, you'll read, oh, people rather rent. There are situations when it's better to rent, but most people want to own something. And there's equity and all that stuff. Um, but we'll get into that another day. Some of the areas that are really changing, I always tell you, look for changing areas that you see development and you think, and you see infrastructure going in. So the Lower East Side of Manhattan was probably one of the least expensive places in New York City. And uh, it's kind of a microcosm of the city at large. And there's so many projects that are being developed downtown, the Lower East Side. And they're affordable. So first of all, if you want to live there, you see the prices are much cheaper than the rest uh, affordable things. And if you're going to buy there, obviously it's a great place where you can get some really good values. Another place that's going to be rezoned is, now it's not rezoned yet, so you know you have to kind of hope that it gets rezoned, but it looks like it's going to happen. In the past year, they're looking at the city's 35-acre campus in Sunset Park. Um, the rezoning of uh, Gowanus will spur plenty of neighborhood discussion in 2020, so I think it's something you should keep an eye on. It's something you should read about, Google, look about it, uh, because the major rezoning is on the horizon for Gowanus with the potential transforming of an 80-block swath of low-rise neighborhoods into uh, development. If so, you should look at that. Staten Island South Shore. Uh, after years of planning a 5.3-mile long barrier stretching southeast shore, it's gearing up to begin again. So they had started talking about that for a while, and now it's come back up again. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers appearing to break ground on 615 million projects a million dollar project in the year 2020. So as you see that developments are going up or they're not up yet, but they're planned, usually, I mean, there's no guarantees in anything in life, uh, but usually that means that the area is going to be developed more and have infrastructure, and that's important when you're looking at where to buy. The project that they're planning to do includes a seawall with a public promenade built atop of miles of levees and flood walls, and more than 180 acres of newly excavated stormwater detention ponds. And uh, so it'll be very safe, and a lot of people were afraid of some of the areas because of the hurricanes. An area in Bushwick, I think it's kind of started already, is Bushwick in Brooklyn, and after years of watching rents and out-of-context development rise in their neighborhood, they're, they're in the middle of a rezoning plan in Bushwick, and it's something that, again, investigate. There, I don't, there's different things for different people, but it's one of the things I think you should investigate. Uh, South Bronx. I just told someone the other day, go there if you haven't been there. Just drive through. Uh, from Mott Haven to Hunts Point, a series of sky-shaping sky projects. I mean, they're like they, they shape the skyline, are in the works in South Bronx. Uh, with more developments to come in 2020, you're seeing what they're doing to South Bronx. Uh, the effects of a 92-block rezoning around Jerome Avenue continues to unfold. 
um, as the city eyes Southern Boulevard for land use changes. It's something that I would look into. I would do my homework. I'm not telling everyone they should do that, but it's something that I personally think, you know, there's plenty of, there's two families there. What's happened is as the city gets more expensive and then Brooklyn got so expensive, okay, now Queens is moving up, the surrounding areas. And then if you look at trends, and I always tell people, look at trends. I mean, again, there's no guarantees, but the millennials really want to live close to cities. Um, and if they can't afford, and if you look at, I think I told you, I might have told you last week that Amazon and, uh, you know, Amazon and, and, and Disney and Google, they're all moving to the areas of the city and they're very expensive areas. So if you're going to work there, you want to be close to your job. The millennials don't want to drive two hours. So these are areas that are close to big cities, but less expensive and much more affordable. So whether you buy there or rent there, it's something that I think people should take a look at. And if you're not familiar with the area, don't listen to me, just go do some homework. Um, somebody had asked me another question of what areas have the least amount of taxes, because again, taxes play an important part. And again, make sure that when you're looking at prices, whether it be in New York, whether it be Florida, if it's not a single family home or a two family, then you look at taxes. But if it's a co-op or a condo, you've got to look at common charges. What are the monthlies? Don't look at just the price. And I was just talking, uh, we were in the office in Florida and was saying, well, even with gated communities that are on golf courses, the price is one number. But then you have to look at what are the monthlies and what do they charge you to maintain the golf course or to maintain the clubhouse or <coughs> the boating. So, but as far as taxes go, I think I had a dear Dottie. I have a million dear Dottie questions. I could spend two, uh, two shows on them all. Somebody asked me, where are the areas in the tri-state that have the lowest taxes? And so that's Greenwich. And believe me, Greenwich taxes are lower than the rest of Connecticut. Somehow they were grandfathered somewhere along the line. Um, Greenwich, Connecticut, Alpine, which is in New Jersey, Scarsdale, which is in New York, and it's a, it's a beautiful area. And the, the question was, I live in Manhattan, and my spouse and I are growing our family, and we want to move to the suburbs. What are high-end neighborhoods with good schools and have the lowest property taxes in the tri-state area. And those are the ones that came up. Um, now, it doesn't mean that they're not others, but those are the top three that, that I found. Uh, and as far as if you're a senior citizen, you also have to look there. Sometimes you can get tax exemptions for your age. So if you're, I think it's sometimes it's over 55 if you're looking to buy something. Uh, because taxes play a, a big part. I am, and I don't say this because I'm in real estate. I say this from the bottom of my heart. My dad always believed in real estate and he had his single family home, which I used to be embarrassed because it was a regular, nice place on Long Island, nice neighborhood, but it was certainly, you know, just a regular house. But he had such pride in that house. And he worked two jobs to get that house because it was a little more than their budget. They had in their budget. And he would, anytime when somebody would come over, show them the whole house. I always grew up in believing in real estate. And my first house 
was a four, I mean, it's probably one of the smallest houses I ever bought. And I didn't, you know, my friends were going to Europe and here and there. And my, sat, my dad said, oh, there's a house for sale across the street. You should buy it. And it was $30,000. It was the tiniest house I've ever seen. But going back, I guess an average price was forty-five. I bought that. I rented it. I then sold shares of it. I sold like to my friends. My, my, we were just out of college. Got two other friends. I kept the third of it, and then I got two other friends to go in, and then we sold it. And that's how I really ended up buying the first real house that I lived in. Uh, and I still think that's possible. Now, there's a whole article, and I'll bring it in next week, on the negatives of, of, of buying. And, of course, there's always situations where maybe it's not wise. But do your homework. I'm not a believer of buying the biggest house on the block. Uh, but buy something that's in the, the the general vicinity of the price range of the area. Look for transportation because especially in the cities, transportation is key. If you're in the suburbs, that's a different story. But if you're but if you're in the city, being close to a subway or trains is really key. Uh, spend some time, drive around, see if you like it. But truthfully, uh, those the areas that I just said are. I think very up and coming. And I think you're going to see a lot of smart cities. And what, what are smart cities? They're basically, if you take an old golf course community where there was a golf, you know, where there's a clubhouse and then there's a golf course, it's kind of going to be like that, only it'll be very high tech. It'll have yoga studios and it'll have restaurants that stay open. And if you're involved in the communities that you live in in the suburbs, if you want to raise your value, get involved with your community, have them stay open a little later, uh, have the merchants. And sometimes that's hard because in the beginning when you change and you stay open, I saw it in the Hamptons. They finally stayed open at seven or eight o'clock in Southampton and nobody came. So get involved, look at the trends, and look at our market reports at an element, and you're going to find that most places over time really gave them value and a small tax benefit. Not like there was, but still a tax benefit. Have a great weekend, and we'll be back next week. Eye on Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank N.A.